This is Cashflow Ninja, episode 274 with Vincent Lotempio. Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Here is your host inside the dojo, MC Laubscher. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobster here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today, and in today's show, we're going to look at the importance of trademarks, patents, and copyrights. My guest today is Vincent Lotempio. As a registered patent attorney, Vin works with high-end corporate clients and inventors with a new idea that have never been marketed manufactured a product, or everyone in between. He writes patent applications, counsels on branding trademarks, and has the ability to litigate infringement cases. As a corporate IP consultant and lecturer, he trains inventors and corporate employees to identify intellectual property. As an inventor consultant, Vin can analyze new inventions to determine feasibility of patentability and commercialization. Vin Lotempio appeared on the History Channel's Million Dollar Genius as the attorney for Wayne Fromm, the inventor of the selfie stick. Vin also co-wrote Patent Fundamentals for Scientists and Engineers, which takes the reader from an idea's conception through the steps of patent protection. Please share your feedback and thoughts on today's interview. You can let me know your thoughts on Twitter by tweeting me at MCLobsher or by email at info at CashflowNinja.com. And please remember to join our mailing list by signing up at CashflowNinja.com or texting CashflowNinja to 44222. I'm publishing weekly and daily videos on YouTube. You can check out all of my videos at YouTube.com forward slash cashflow ninja please subscribe to my channel to get updates when i post these videos life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually but also diversify their capital from any economic market and geopolitical risk it's been part of the billion dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you are an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments, Penumbra Solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies will not only disrupt money, but every industry on the planet. These new innovations and technologies will affect every area of our lives in the future. The cryptocurrency course teaches you everything you need to know about getting started and profiting with cryptocurrencies and includes expert training from the top crypto experts in the world. You'll learn how to buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies, how to safely store your crypto, how to become a sound investor, even if you're just a beginner, and how to apply blockchain technology to your business. You can watch a free crypto masterclass and grab the crypto course at cashflowninja.com forward slash crypto course. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. 
Vin, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's always fun doing these podcasts. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, for my listeners that's not familiar with uh, Vincent Loptempio, uh, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with my listeners? Yeah, you know, I started off in law school and taking finance and doing criminal law. And I reinvented myself when I was 35 years old. I went back to school and I got basically a, a degree in, in chemistry so I could be able to take the patent bar. And then when I turned 40 years old, I uh, became a patent attorney. That was back in right about 2000, 1999. And I've been doing that for about 18 years now. And I've, it's been quite a journey for me over those 18 years, going from working in the district attorney's office, trying cases, thousands of cases, literally thousands of criminal cases, picking juries to meeting with people, new entrepreneurs, startups, people with new ideas that want to change the world and make the world a better place. It's It's been a, an incredible journey. I've, I've reinvented myself a couple times in my life. When I was 12 years old, I had an, uh, an accident where I, I had my arm amputated, uh, my right arm, and I had to switch over to left-handed from right-handed. I always tell the story that I, I lost my arm on a Sunday. I didn't get out of the hospital till the following Sunday. On Wednesday, I got my bowling ball redrilled, and I, I missed one week of bowling because I was still in the hospital. I, I bowled uh, right-handed, and I had to switch over to left-handed. I bowled a 33 average that first week at 12 years old, and six years later, I was I had over a 200 average, and I was bowling for my college division one. I played baseball, hockey. I've done everything physically imaginable um, with one hand and switching over from left to right. So I know what it takes to um, have an idea and change completely, do a flip-flop and just start from scratch all over and do something. And it's my own personal journey. As a patent attorney, I've I've represented everybody from the mother with the new baby bottle nipple to the uh, big corporate investors with uh, research and development teams doing um, manufacturing, marketing, distribution, have whole teams of people doing that to a person, you know, a new inventor that doesn't have any idea how to do any of that stuff. So I'm able to to work with the um, new inventor and the corporate client. And that's pretty much, uh, in a nutshell, you know, that's me, Vincent Latempio. Yeah, one of the things that I found super interesting doing a little bit of research before our chat here too is that you represented uh, the inventor of the selfie stick. Any insights that you can share around that? Yeah, you know, that was very interesting. He's from Toronto. His name is Wayne Fromm. And he wanted to get a, a U.S. attorney to work with him. And I was right over the border here in western New York, Buffalo, Niagara Falls area. And he met me in a coffee shop. And he originally had a, a case with Mattel. He invented, uh, he was a toy inventor, and he invented a, a, a dress to put on a bear. And the dress was made with a, a way to do tie-dye where you could rinse it off and do it again if you didn't like it. Well, Mattel liked the idea, and he got, actually got it on the Barbie doll. And that was the first thing I worked with him. And then since then, I think we filed five or six patents on all different things. And, and my biggest thing with the selfie stick was going on Amazon and, and, you know, eBay and all these places and, and fighting all the um, people that were doing the knockoffs. You know, the, his whole story was shown on a, on a video, you know, they, they filmed me for three hours. And I, of course I got like 30 seconds on the, on the show, but uh, I'm, I'm in there a few times. It's called the million dollar genius. It's on the history channel. 
and his show was called Selfie Made Man. So if you were to, because to, it's always, they're always showing, you know, a lot of re- replays on the History Channel. If you just went to search and see when there's, you know, doing the, the reruns, you could look for the episode called Selfie Made Man and you could, you could find it. Uh, I have it on a, an MP4 and on my computer and I put a Dropbox link to it and anybody that calls me, I send a, a text for them to watch it. But it's, it's an interesting story because it's him and his daughter on a vacation in Venice on the bridge called the Ponte Vecchio. It's over the Fizzi river in, in Florence. I said, Venice it's Florence. Um, and they're trying to get their picture taken and they can't figure out how to do it. And, and that's when he came up with the idea with the selfie stick and, and then you'll see his whole journey from the idea um, to actually being on QVC and, and selling $2 million of them in a month, you know, and it was just an incredible journey. And at the end of the video, I say to, into the camera, it's probably the best line that I had in the whole video. Um, you know, if if Wayne could do it, just an average everyday guy like Wayne, there's no reason why anybody else couldn't do something like this. It's available to the, you know, to anybody could, could do it. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen for everybody, but it can be done. And this is, you know, just another example of it. You know, it can be done. Now, protecting intellectual property law is just absolutely cardinal when starting a business and start, uh, growing your business, especially when there's brand recognition and you're, you're having success with it. Can you share a little bit how just failing to fi- file just trademarks and patent applications can totally ruin businesses before they even get off the ground? Well, yeah, especially in the startup stages because when you're first starting up, you know, money is very tight and you, you don't know what to spend it on. And I always say there's no real one roadmap for you to follow. Everybody has to follow their own roadmaps, but you certainly could learn from the mistakes from others. So how do you decide what's the most important thing? One of the most important things is protecting what you have so nobody else copies it, nobody else steals it. And, you know, even a trademark, your name, you know, we're fighting right now in a case where we have a, a similar name to somebody else's and, and they say that um, they want us to stop using it. Now, my client's just starting up. They got to change um, the signs on the building. They got all their, all their, you know, all their products to have marks on them. This could be devastating to a startup. So I always say like the, the, um, the trademark for example, or even the patent could be acts as a shield or a sword. So the shield is, it protects me from somebody saying, you can't use this anymore. And, and you need that type of pr- protection. You know, if you're going into battle, um, you, you need a shield to stop somebody from cutting you off below your knees or cutting you with their, with their sword. And the, it's also a sword to say, look, this is my trademark. You're infringing on my rights. Stop doing it. Here's this, you know, here's the certificate to prove that we that we own it. For trademarks, it's it's a little different than patent though. Let's say, for example, you're Coca-Cola. You've been selling Coca-Cola in every corner of the earth since two, you know, since nineteen hundred, over a hundred years. But for some reason, you're you never filed your 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 trademark application or you forgot to renew it you would still have superior rights just on the fact that you've been using it for all those years. There'd be common law rights in every one of those jurisdictions. But the thing about the federal registration is 
that whether you're using it in you know the corner of Seattle, Washington, or Miami, Florida, or someplace in the middle of the Midwest, um, you know Coca-Cola has obviously been to every one of those places, and they can say we were there first. But you, as the startup, you really haven't been anywhere. You know, you're, you're lucky if you just have a 500 um, mile radius around where your brick and mortar is. But when you file that federal registration. All of a sudden, you're national, you're everywhere, and, and you can say, look, I put you on constructive notice that uh, I own this trademark because I register it. So actual notice would be, you know, I sent you a letter and said, here, stop using my trademark. I've been using it first. But uh, constructive notice is the fact that you filed it registered. You know, you filed it federally and you, you registered it nationally. So those, you know, I don't want to get into too much details about the law because I could sit here and talk for hours and hours. But yeah, I call it the sword and the shield. It protects you and it also allows you to be the aggressor and stop others from stealing your ideas. What is the vital difference between a patent and a trademark and a copyright? So I've been using the same example to show. It's very simple. It makes it easy to understand. And I, in fact, I have a Coca-Cola bottle sitting on my desk right now, and I just picked it up and I am holding it in my hand. So the Coca-Cola bottle is an example of almost every type of intellectual property. First, it's a container that holds a liquid. It's a utility you can get a utility patent for it. If you were the first person to invent this in the Neolithic era and you were uh, the first caveman to come up with a, a container that holds a liquid, a cup or a bottle, and you that would be a, a utility patent for what it does. It's also a design patent, the look of it. So you look at the bottle, the aesthetic look of this Coca-Cola bottle. And if I just mention Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and 7-Up, in your mind, you just picture those different bottles. So you can actually get a design patent on the shape of the bottle. And if you walked into the grocery store right now and opened the refrigerator and went to get a bottle of juice or some, or any one of those bottles, you'll see they're all different shapes. I would bet 90% of those have design patents on the shape so people can't steal the shape. So... The Coca-Cola bottle further has a label on the front, the fancy Coca-Cola label. And on the cap, it says Coke, and there's a little circle R, registered trademark. So so the, the label on the outside is the trademark. A trademark, they call it a source indicator. It indicates to the consumer who the source of the product is. So I, me as a consumer, when I walk into Dick's sporting goods and I buy a pair of Nike sneakers, I know that only Nike can manufacture those sneakers and only Nike could put that label on it. So I'm protected. If I think Nike is a worthwhile company that I want to purchase from and I'm and I'm happy with their products in the past, I'm protected as the consumer. And also Nike is protected that nobody else could use their marks. So nobody else can make a crummy sneaker and stick a Nike um, mark on it and then ruin their reputation. They call that a dilution of the mark. They You dilute it. You make it weaker because that mark has has certain value. And I have, I've always made this argument. If I, if, if I gave you an offer right now to um, Kev, I'll give you all the assets Nike has, all their brick and mortar, all their inventory of every store in the whole country or the whole world, or I'll give you the right to use that Nike swoosh, which one has more value. I would argue that the swoosh has more value because you you can't sell all that stuff unless you put that swoosh on it, you know, you, and it'll sell much more, you have much more value. So all the goodwill that it has, in fact, I was just watching the Olympics and most of the Olympic 
um, uniforms all have that little Mikey swoosh on it. It's, it's so valuable, the, the trademark itself. So we'll continue on with the Coca-Cola bottle. Inside, there's a liquid, the Coca-Cola um, drink that you drink. That's protected by trade secret. It's kind of like the Kentucky Fried Chicken recipe. So, in fact, you know, even people at Coca-Cola don't know how to make it. It's, it's, they, they have three separate divisions, the marketing, manufacturing, distribution. They're in b- different buildings. They're not even allowed to talk to each other. There's only a couple people in Coca-Cola that actually know how to make the full recipe of what Coca-Cola is. You can try to reverse engineer it and make your Pepsi-Cola, but they protect that through trade secret. Um, the bottle itself, the shape of the bottle, in 1963, Coca-Cola registered it as a trade dress, just the look of it. And they owned the, the look of the bottle, a trade dress. I don't know if you've seen the, um, there's a movie where the guy tries to open up a McDougal's instead of a McDonald's. And everything looks like McDonald's, but it's called McDougal's, and that's his name. That would, you know, the look of the seats, the the yellow um, golden arches, the look of it would be considered a trade dress. Um, and finally, you could argue that the bottle itself is a work of art, like a, scru- like a um, sculpture. But um, technically, if you try to register um, in the, as a copyright, something that has a functional use, like a bottle or a pair of scissors, they won't let you register it as a, as a copyright. So you might have a difficult copywriting that bottle. But uh, copyright is like you know a book, the words in the book, uh, music, um, a work of art. Of you know um, a sculpture or a painting that would be protected by copyright. So you got trademark is a source indicator. A patent protects how it works, the utility of it, or how it looks, and a copyright protects um, a work of art. What are some of the ways that invent- inventors and businesses can avoid losing their rights to a patent and a trademark? The trademark. You want to start using it right away, and you want to register it. But the use of it in public um, protects it because, like I said before, the more you use it, you say you have prior use and you gain rights, where it's the exact opposite for a patent. If you show it to somebody and they file it before you, you'll, they'll get the patent. So the rule in the patent office is the first to file gets the patent. So you got to keep it quiet. You got to not tell anybody about it. You keep your cards close to your vest and get it filed as soon as possible. You can file a provisional patent that'll preserve the date and go out there and try to market it. It's a less expensive than a non-provisional, but the non-provisional is, is the one that actually gets examined and turns into a patent. So the whole idea with the um, with a patent, you have something that's a useful article. There's four types of things that... Um, you can get a patent on an article of manufacture, like a pencil or a pen, a machine, like a new computer, a new phone, a new microwave, um, a composition of matter, like a new gasoline or a new drug, and then a method of doing business, like the Uber app, you know, a method of doing something, you know, Uber has a patent on, on, on their system and their method. So it's very important before you open up your first Uber app and you send it out and sell it that you have something filed because, because you could lose your patent rights if somebody else files it before you. And there's also a rule that says if you use it in public, you offer it for sale, or you publish it anywhere, in a magazine, on a website, you have one year to file your patent application. If you fail to file your patent application in that one year, nobody could ever get a patent on that thing. So they want people just sitting on their ideas and all of a sudden try to file something. 
So there's two there's two problems when you start using your thing in public is one that you start that time period for the statutory bar. And the other is you risk somebody else taking your idea and filing the application before you because the rule is in America, first to file, you know, first to get to the patent office and file wins the race. So you need to be the first to file. It used to be, do you ever hear before they used to talk about a poor man's patent, you mail it to yourself and you can prove that you had it first. That really doesn't do anything anymore because they changed the rule. The rule used to be the first person to invent it. So I could invent something and you might file before me, but if I can prove that I invented it before you, like that, like by mailing it back to myself and showing the uh, the mailing date, you know, on the stamp, um, I could win the race because I invented it first. But now they've changed the rules with the American Invents Act. You know, Obama signed that, I think, in 2013. The rule now is whoever files first wins the race. You're listening to Vincent Lotempio on the Cashflow Ninja podcast. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. This is MC Laubscher, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast. As you may know, I'm also the president and chief wealth strategist of Alhalla Wealth Financial. We help individuals, families, small businesses, entrepreneurs, and professionals build their wealth outside of Wall Street and help investors maximize the use of every dollar in their personal economy and boost their investment gains. We do this by combining the capital and investments with the financial vehicle of the wealthy according to the infinite banking concept. If you're interested to learn more about privatized banking and the infinite banking concept, you can access an exclusive webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. You're listening to Vincent Lotempio on the Cashflow Ninja podcast and now back to our interview. Now you touched on inventors and um, I mentioned them as well and they face a ton of issues. What are some of the biggest uh, challenges that inventors face uh, with regards to this area of expertise that you cover? Well, I mean, I guess in general, it's always it's always a, a problem just l- learning how to do everything, inventors. You know, again, I, I talk about manufacturing, marketing, and distributing a product. And most inventors just have the idea. They don't, you know, you know, some of them might have some, you know, some skills in one of the other areas. Maybe they know somebody that can manufacture it. Maybe they have a, a connection and a distribution channel that they can talk to. Maybe they, they do marketing on their own. They're already marketer. You know, some people, salesmen will say, I could sell anything. Don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. But very few of them have wear all those three different hats. So the, the inventor has to become uh, like, a, like a, a general contractor, kind of like building his house. His, he's, he's not building a house, he's building a product. And what do you need to build a product? You need to manufacture, market, and distribute the product. Building a house, you have to, you know, as a general contractor, you, you hire subcontractors. You hire a guy to come dig the, the foundation, a guy to come in and, 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 uh, and box it all in with all the, you know, the um, frame, you know, frame the house. And then you got to hire your your electricians and plumbers and, and, and siding guys and, and, you know, every, all the different um, um, subcontractors. And what you got to do as a general contractor is find the best subcontractors. You have to find um, the, the best prices. So maybe interview four or five of them and then pick the guy with the best price that can do the best job for what you need to do. And that's essentially what, 
what inventors need to do. They have to figure out who's going to manufacture it, who, how it's the cheapest way to do it, what's the best way to do it. Even though I've invented it made out of, out of stainless steel, could it be molded in plastic? Could it be strong enough? Um, because if, if it costs $12 more to make this thing, and if you're selling a million, there's $6 million worth of, or, or $12 million worth of profits that you just lost because, because you, because it cost you $12 more to make it than it should have, you know? So, so there's so many, you know, different things that they have to do. So what's the problem? The problem is they get in front of these product, um, development companies that say, oh, we're going to do all this for you. Just pay us $10,000 or $12,000. And, you know, the reality is that they're not set up to do it. And, 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 and they, and they kind of cherry pick, um, the products that they want. And chances are 98% of these people or more are just throwing their money away because it's those, those, um, development companies don't do all the things that they say they're going to do. So, so really it, it falls on the inventor to, to take on all these different roles and wear all these different hats. And, and that's just not an easy thing to do. Um, I tell you, it's a good video to watch on that, on those history channel, million dollar genius, because it kind of shows what he did and all the ideas of that he used to, to bring his idea to fruition. But, but it's, it's certainly not, it's, it's not like you could just come up with an idea. It's like a lottery ticket and it's just going to sell itself. I always say ideas don't sell themselves. The people have to sell those ideas and, and you have to be able to um, put when you, you know, most people will say like, okay, I'm going to just go to a, a manufacturer that, that makes this and just say, they're going to like the idea. They're going to do everything. And I always said, if you're going to make a deal with somebody, these, these are called license agreements or royalty agreements where you get a piece of the action. If you can get your dress on the Barbie doll, then every one of those dresses that sells on those Barbie dolls, you get a, you get a royalty agreement, you know, you get a, you get a license, but you got to convince Barbie that this dress is a good thing. And then how, how is it going to be made? How is it going to be manufactured? What's going to happen if you're going to leave it to them to answer all those questions? Well, you're not going to be in a very good position to make a deal. So to make a deal, I, I always said, you know, when I was a little boy, my mother would sit us down at the table and draw a line down the middle. If we were going to make a big decision, we'd put the pluses on one side and the minuses on the other. And then if the minuses outweighed the pluses, we wouldn't do it. If the pluses outweighed it, we would do it. So, so what does the inventor have? On his side of the ledger, on his pluses, he's got the idea. And what does the big manufacturing company have on its side? It has the money, the resources, the distribution channels, the, the uh, marketing, the manufacturing, all that's everything on their side. If, if, if everything's all one-sided, what kind of deal could you expect to make? Unless your name is George Foreman and you're going to put your name on the new George Foreman grill. I mean, he has some leverage, but if you're just Joe Smith and you have the no, new grill, you know, for you to convince them to do all those things, you're going to have to say, look, I can get this thing manufactured. I can have 18,000 of them for this price. This is the, the demographic where it's going to go. This is um, already the traction that it has. So the inventor needs, I guess that's, just, you know, one of the biggest things they need to do is take some of those pluses and bring them over to his side and or her side and, and try to make that deal. So it's just not a simple, it's, and there's no simple answer to it.
No, and there's a, there's definitely a lot of complications. And as you were talking, I'm just thinking of a lot of Shark Tank episodes that I've watched because these things usually come up um, within Shark Tank, right? The what what exactly. the sharks have to offer to them? They have access, they have contacts, they have distribution, they have knowledge, they understand the power of. Uh, patent, trademark, and copyright, right? Damon John talks about that all the time. He goes, See, you know, your first business, you usually lose because you don't have those in, in place. And then their second business, that's the first thing that you get in place, right? Um, and licensing agreements, which Mr. Wonderful, staying on that show, loves. Um, can you share some basic information on non-disclosure agreements and the licensing agreements that you touched on a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the licensing agreement is actually an agreement when you there's a meeting of the minds and and you have a a percentage of all the sales and and you know you have to those are very complicated um, contracts and with the general things that you want to make sure that you that you touch on when you're working out a on an agreement is how you're going to get paid and how much money you're going to get paid based on is it going to be net. Um, profits or gross profits and how do we make a determination of what that is and if there is some sort of a um, misunderstanding and you think that you're not getting paid is there an accounting way to to um, to protect your interest as the as the um, inventor and those are you know those are stuff that like I said I can get into the details of the of the uh, of 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 a, of a contract, but it's basically a contract saying, "Look, at, we're going to sell a product. You're going to get a piece of the action. You're going to get a piece of every one we sell, and then and then we'll determine exactly how much you get and how we determine that. Um, and then, uh, um, on with regard to the NDA, um, non-disclosure, non-compete type of agreements, those those really aren't an agreement to do business together, but just an agreement between the parties to say, look, we're going to share information. We're going to talk about a possible agreement. If, if we don't come to an agreement, um, you can't take what we discuss here and go out and compete against me and, and use it outside of my, you know, you know, without, without violating this contract. So, you know, those, those things are very protective between you and that company. But the problem is, if you you make a deal like that with with a corporation and then somebody else that's that you can't tie to them goes out and starts selling your idea you don't know you know how they got that information it it doesn't protect you for anybody else just with that one particular party so that's the problem with the ndas um people try to make them very um, restrictive and, and people try to make them very one-sided. So you got to be very careful when you sign those NDAs that it's not one-sided. I try to draft my NDAs as, as a mutual NDA where it's pretty much equal on both sides because, you know, quite frankly, you don't really have a lot of leverage when you walk into the big company, you know, as a first-time inventor. Maybe if you have um, experience in the past and you have some traction and it's something that the company really wants, um, you could, it'll give you a little bit more traction, but it's kind of like when I was first became a lawyer, I was doing house closings and the bank was loaning the money to buy the house. And I, they would, they would have a big stack of paper that the client would have to sign. The, the homeowner would have to sign. And I, the, the banker would you know, they would hand me the paper and I'd hand it over to the client and the client would say, should I sign it? And I would say, well, if you don't sign it, 
they're not going to give you the money and you're not going to get a house. The only thing I can tell you right now is what you're signing and what you, what it means. So you understand what you're signing, but the deal's not going to go through if you don't do that. And that's kind of what happens with these big companies. I mean, they don't need you. You need them more than they need you. And, and unless you could, like I said, bring some of those pluses over to your side, um, you're kind of stuck with what they what they want to make you sign if they if you really want to make a deal. So and and that's the problem with with dealing with those big companies and their NDAs. They're very very one sided, and and most of them just say, look, anything we talk about is 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 fair game unless you have a patent on it, and then you can sue us on the patent. So it's almost like they force you to to file that patent application and get the patent before you talk to them. But others other companies are are not afraid to sign the mutual NDA and, and they'll sign it. And the reason why they do that um, as far as being one-sided and they won't, they won't give you anything is because they have a whole research and development team working for them and who knows what they're working on. And then all of a sudden there's a long line of inventors coming to see them to sign this non-disclosure agreement. And then all of a sudden they're going to come out with stuff that they've already been working on. And next thing you know, they're getting sued by everybody that, they try to make a deal with, so they're very they're very, they're very cautious as to as to what um, type of NDA that they'll actually sign, and usually it's written up by their whole team of lawyers that that made it so one sided that it's ridiculous. But like I said, I try to I try not to make it one sided because if it's so one sided, the other side's not going to want to sign it. I try just to make it mutual and fair. And, and you would think that if you ask somebody to sign a mutual fair NDA and they didn't want to sign it, you'd have to start having questions of whether you want to deal with that person anyways, because if they, if right from the beginning, um, they're not going to deal with you in a fair, reasonable way, there's probably somebody you don't want to be working with. Now, Vin, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing on a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you're going to pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Well, I, I say this to my daughters, you know, try your best and be nice to people no matter what you do. That's like when they, when I went to a funeral for my, my ex-boss, the district attorney at Erie County, Kevin Dillon, and his and his daughter said that he's he would sit the kids down in his office at home and to look to review the report card when report cards came in one at a time. And the girls would come in and he would ask them two questions. Did you try your best and were you nice to people? And if you did those things, I don't care what's on this report card because that's not who you are. Um, I, I tell my kids they have to do three things at, at school. And I tell my inventors it's the same thing. You have to be book smart. You have to learn as much as you possibly can. Get straight A's in school. You have to be street smart because street smart without um, book smart without street smart, you're not going to get anywhere. You gotta you gotta be able to identify who the bully is and stay away from them. Go in the opposite direction. You gotta get into the right. Um, contracts with people, just like I said a couple minutes ago. If 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 you get a bad feeling right off the bit, beginning uh, it, it, that they're not going to be fair and reasonable with you, you don't want to work with them. That's that's more street smart. And then finally, networking. With the electronic age the way it is, with LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and all these things, you can network with real literally the whole entire planet. 
Um, I have a YouTube channel. I have over 2,000 views. It's called Patent Home. I have uh, Twitter and Facebook. I got seven Facebook pages. So networking and networking is make as many friends as you can. Networking doesn't mean that you know you're going to um, use other people. It means that you're going to be friends with them and you're going to have a synergistic um, approach to it where you both can help each other and and make the world a better place. So so street smart, book smart, and networking. Fantastic. Love those. Vin, where can my listeners learn more about you? Uh, where can they reach you? Where can they follow you uh, and stay informed of all the projects that you're involved with? Yeah, I like I said, I'm I'm everywhere on the, on the internet. My um, my phone number here in Buffalo is 716-853-1111, but I have a couple of websites, latempiolaw.com, and I have clauslaw.com um, Klaus for my law firm. It's Klaus Stinger and Latempio, and I'm the Latempio is the partner in that firm. And on uh, my YouTube page, if you type in Latempio and Patent, and even if you just typed in Patent Attorney, I'll probably come up on someplace on the front page, and I have like 40 videos up there of just as answering um, um, FAQs and frequently asked questions at uh, at Patent Home. It's called Patent Home is the YouTube channel. So those are those are um, three good ways to get a hold of me. And that 800 number on that YouTube channel rings right to my cell phone. So if you want to talk to me directly, although I question my sanity of putting that um, 800 number into my cell phone, but if you look at my phone, I got hundreds of calls from all over the world through that 800 number. And I've, I've met a lot of people. I've, I filed patents in Russia, from Kuwait, um, France, um, Hawaii, Alaska, anywhere you can name, I've, I've filed patents for people. So I, I, I'm more than happy to talk to you directly. And, and I'm, I'm always available on my cell phone. I basically put my cell phone out there on the, on the web. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, Vin has made available for listeners of the Cashflow Ninja podcast, a resources page, and also uh, just a place to schedule a free consultation as well. That will be available at cashflowninja.com forward slash patent. That's cashflowninja.com forward slash patent. Vin, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's, it's always exciting to, to be able to get in touch with people um, on the internet like this, thousands of people through these podcasts. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me again on the Cashflow Ninja, and thank you for all of your support. You rock. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here at the Cashflow Ninja, please subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes, and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to the Cashflow Ninja Gosh Good newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com or text Cashflow Ninja to 44. Two, two, two. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you now can also participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments, Penumbra Solutions, at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies will not only disrupt money, but every industry on the planet. These new innovations and technologies will affect every area of our lives in the future. The cryptocurrency course 
teaches you everything you need to know about getting started and profiting with cryptocurrencies and also includes expert training from the top crypto experts in the world. You will learn about how to buy, sell, and trade cryptocurrencies, how to safely store your crypto, how to become a sound investor, even if you're just a beginner, and how to apply blockchain technology to your business. You can watch a free crypto masterclass and grab the crypto course at cashflowninja.com forward slash crypto course. The wealthiest investors on the planet know how to capture their wealth and leverage it to perpetually grow it. If you're interested in learning the premier strategies of the wealthiest individuals and families on the planet, you can access your free webinar at cashflowninja.com forward slash be the bank. That's our show for today, everyone. Until next time, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.